Well, moms who are in the room, I think it's been said a bunch of times, just want to say thank you. Thank you very much for what you do and the dedication that you have um, to your kids, even when your kids don't appreciate it. My mom could attest to that. Um, and uh, and uh, just really, truly, it is a job, a thankless job, but it is a job that you guys do so well and so um, so appreciate it. So appreciate you moms. And, um, and then actually, I even want to acknowledge the fact that there are some people here who've been struggling to be a mom, right? And that piece of, that difficulty. Um, I want to acknowledge that or those, maybe you're here and your mom is gone now. Um, at this time or different distance or whatever is going on. It's, it's a great day to celebrate, but it's also a difficult day to celebrate at times. And so just want to acknowledge you moms um, this day. On the day, truly, one of the, I think it's the third highest attended church attendance day because moms say, hey, you know, we would like you to come to church. What's the one thing you want to do? We want you to come to church. Ironically, no joke, one of the least attended Sundays is Father's Day. So... <laughs> So we know where mom's priorities are, so, which is awesome. Uh, in 1982, my mom sat at a graduation ceremony, uh, my kindergarten graduation ceremony. She was there and, uh, and with my dad, and I don't know if you guys have this, I can't believe there are such things as a kindergarten celebration ceremony. And in that piece, I remember that they asked you to announce and to declare what you were going to do for the rest of your life, right? It's hilarious to think about that. I, you get out of college, you still don't know what you want to do for the rest of your life. But they asked you to declare when you were at that ripe, tiny age of kindergarten to declare what you want to do for the rest of your life. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I was, well, I, I, was, I was deciding between two things. I didn't know if I wanted to be a, a jet fighter pilot or a fireman. Those were like my two options because everybody in the school, everybody's like, what are you going to do? I'm going to say I'm going to be a fireman. I remember us talking about it at recess of all things, and then we get to the day where you're supposed to stand up there, it's your graduation ceremony, it's the big moment, there's a whole crowd, I remember standing up there, and I remember in the moment, like I'm about ready to say what I want to be when I grow up, what I want to strive for, and I got flustered, I didn't know, I mean, there's so many people, and so do I want to be a jet fighter pilot, do I want to be a fireman, and they asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up, and I said, I want to be, and I said it with conviction, I want to be a fire truck. That's what I said. With all my heart, I want to be a fire truck. And I, didn't, I don't even think it registered um, in that process. So I'm happy to say I'm not a fire truck. I have played fire trucks, you know, but crazy. So and the point of that ceremony is for you to declare what you think you are going to be when you get older. Right? The point of this series that we're smack dab in the middle in, this series called Made, is to remind us of who God already thinks we are, who he made us to be. And so my whole goal for today in this whole series is to encourage you. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Oftentimes, when I hear series that are done, and maybe you grew up in a church that was like this, where they would they bring you in, they want to talk about your identity, and they tell you what you need to be right, where you're lacking, all of these things where you're lacking, and just if you could just try a little bit harder to be like this, then that would be better. But this series, what I simply want to do is I want to encourage you, all of us, I want to encourage myself in this process and who God has already made us to be. And so here's what David, the shepherd, the poet, the king, here's what he had to say um, about who we are. He said, for you, speaking of God, created my inmost being. You knit me together, in my, there we are, Mother's Day, Mother's Womb, 
I thank you, and here's why. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, meaning we are good. Now, the word fearfully there is really great because what it means in Scripture is one of two things. It either means that I'm scared to death of you or I stand in awe of you. And in this case, God is saying that he made us, right? He made us and that he was amazed. He was blown away. He made us and he stepped back and he was in awe of what he created. And so the big idea here is this, for this whole series, is that God made you and he thinks you're awesome. He really does. Awesome, like fearfully and wonderfully made awesome. Basically, he is, he is awe-inspired. We're awe-inspired in the image of God, and he loves that. And we have a tendency to forget that, right? We have a tendency um, in our world to forget what God really thinks of us. And so what's awesome in God's word is that he gives us some word pictures throughout scripture of who God says we are. For example, the first week we talked about clay. And this idea that we are clay in the potter's hands. And outside of the, outside of the potter's hands, we lose our value. But inside the potter's hands, he can make something beautiful and magnificent and very useful out of us. Last week, Garrett talked about the fact that in Scripture that we're referred to more than anything else, sheep. That we are lost without our shepherd. And in fact, our shepherd thinks so much of us as precious sheep that he will leave 99 to go find the one. If you get lost, he will leave the 99 to come find you. Why? Because you have great value to him. And so today, what I want to do is I want to camp on one verse just one verse, the entire, the entire sermon, Ephesians 2.10. Um, this is where the Apostle Paul talks, and here's what he says. He says, for we, talking about you, talking about me, we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. And in Greek, that's pioma, or poema is how you say it. Poema is, means workmanship or craftsmanship, or the literal translations is everything God made. Poema. This is where we actually get the word, the English translation of the word poem. When we put beautiful words on a page to make a beautiful picture, we get it from this word, poema, everything that God has made. This, this word is only found one other time throughout the New Testament. In fact, I'll read it right here. Romans 1.20, Paul also says this. He says, For ever since the world was created, people have... Um, have seen the earth and sky through, here it is, this is the word poema, everything God made, poema, masterpiece, masterpiece, workmanship, us, including us. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Every single time I've ever heard this verse referenced, I've heard it referenced to contend to the fact that for those people who live in a far off place who have never heard the gospel, like in a hut in Africa, that God will make himself known even without the gospel in play. But instead of using this verse as a doctrinal defense, what we should do is look at it for plain sight and look at it for the amazing statement, the shocking declaration that Paul makes in here because you can't miss it. You cannot miss this. It literally says that God can be seen clearly. Isn't that our dream? Isn't that our hope? 
I don't know about you, but I would love to see God clearly face to face. But in here, it says through creation. In fact, even through us, through his masterful work, we, ha- we can see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. Paul is saying it's right here. It's right there. It's actually in you. You can see God. He's at the front of our noses. It's even our noses, right? That we can see in all creation that we are God's masterpiece and we can see evidence of him. And think about that. Let that sink in. We are God's masterpiece. A masterpiece, as I looked it up, the the actual word, it means that it is the creator's best piece of art. It is their number one thing. It's the best work that they've ever put out there. And when we think of masterpiece, oftentimes we think that masterpiece can take different forms for different people. One is poetry, creating words, Shakespearean play, right? Romeo, Romeo, where art thou, Romeo? You got that. You could do it in words, symphonies, where people actually create sounds. And Beethoven, not the dog, but the composer, you know, he wrote for Elise and the famous Fifth Symphony, and apparently he wrote that when he couldn't hear. Can you believe that? And that is one of his greatest masterpieces. When we think of masterpiece, we can think of sculptures like carving out of stone, Michelangelo and his creation of David, which is absolutely magnificent and totally inappropriate to show the whole thing at church, so we're only going to give you the upper half, right? But it's a masterpiece. Most of the time, though, when we think masterpiece, what do we think of? We think of paintings. So we got the Mona Lisa by Leonardo DiCaprio, or maybe Leonardo da Vinci, whatever you want to call him. Early 1500s, most famous painting in all the world, yet she has no eyebrows, okay? (laughs) This painting is appraised, catch this, at $620 million. Now, you cannot go and buy the Mona Lisa if you just happen to have $620 million, but it is insured for $620 million. So if you could steal it, you could maybe sell it for that much. Uh, we got this one, Whistler's Mother. I figured on Mother's Day, we've got to show this painting. 1871, <laughs> made by Whistler, right? And uh, I have always wondered in this picture what she's staring at. Like, I feel like she's probably watching uh, Survivor on a TV right in front of her. This one is appraised at $43 million is how much this one is worth. Or what about this one, Scream, by, by Edward Go- uh, Munch, or Munch, or however you want to say it. Thank you. There you go. Someone actually knows. I'm just, I have no clue. 1893. Uh, I want to say this. I love this painting. When, um, when I was single, I put this into my bachelor pad. I got married, and um, I'm just going to tell you right now, it's not in our house. I don't even own it anymore. <laughs> it is worth $120 million, and I tried to tell my wife that, that it is very important. She wouldn't even pay 10 cents for that thing right there, but it's no longer there. Um, Here's A Sunday Afternoon by Seurat in 1885. Amazing, which is millions. All that picture right there is millions of dots put on a page. Millions just sitting there, point, 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 over and over again. Appraised, this one is affordable, it looks like. I could Maybe sell my house and get this one. $350,000, not million. $354,000 is how much that is worth. An appraisal, the worth, the value of a piece of art, catch this, is set by how much somebody is willing to pay for it. 
So the appraisal, the worth goes, is determined by the highest bidder. I want to show you another piece of art. Check this one out right here. This one is called Daddy's Disneyland. I named it. This was painted by my daughter, Magnolia, in 2014. When she was struggling before she passed away, when her diagnosis got difficult, my wife and I needed a break. And so we went out to dinner that night just so that we could breathe. And so some of our friends watched our kids that day and instructed my two daughters to make pictures of each other. But my daughter, Magnolia, uh, she never listened, ever. She always wanted to do what she wanted. And so she said, I wanted to make a painting for Daddy of Disneyland. And so she didn't write the letters up there because she couldn't. So Kinsey helped her to write those letters on there. But she painted this for me. In fact, here's a video that they wisely took of her painting it right there. Maggie, what are you painting right here? Oh, Disneyland. Disneyland, no kidding. Can you tell me what you have on there so far? What are those things? on it to make it wetter. Is one was, of those the Is this one the pirate ride? Yeah, that's what you told me. And then is the green the castle? What's this one? Hey, Mom. Oh, Maggie, what's that pretty one that you're making what's right there? The joy. It is, huh? Mm -hmm. That's great. Can you give me a smile? <laughs> Love it, Buttercup. That was at the very, very end of her life where she started to, you could see that the sickness was starting to take a hold of her. And she decided in that state that she wanted to paint a masterpiece for me. Now, how much would I be willing to sell that for? You, $620 million? No way. I would not give that up for the Mona Lisa in any shape or form. That is completely priceless to me. 1,000%, you couldn't put a dollar value on it. If you wanted to try to steal it, right, I promise you, I would fight you with my life for that piece. I would, because it is that valuable to me. It was one of the very last gifts. In fact, I didn't get this gift until she had passed. Months after she passed, they framed it and put it together and then gave it to us. It is priceless. 1,000% priceless. If we are considered to be God's masterpiece, right? What is our value? What is our value? Here's what scripture says. For you, we're bought with a price. How much did we cost? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give, here's the price right here, his life as a ransom for many. Friends, Jesus set our value by paying our price with his life. The God of the universe decided his life was worth it. That's how much you are worth. If you ever question your value, 
If you think I'm not worth it or I'm broken or I don't have enough or I'm not valuable enough, you need to understand that Jesus himself said you're a masterpiece. You are beautiful. You are valuable. So valuable that he gave his life for you. Truly. And there are so many voices out there that says, well, you're not this. You know, and it could even come inside of your head. Or if you could only be that, or if you could only be this, Jesus, God himself, whispers and says to you, your value is enough. I love you more than anything. You are the best work that I have ever put together. That's who we are. We are God's masterpiece. Now, Paul continues in this verse. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us, key word here, anew. In Christ Jesus. He's created us anew, meaning he made us brand new. Second Corinthians said, for you know, we are a new creation in Christ. That word new is can be a little bit confusing because you know when you first get saved, you first come into a relationship with Jesus and you first start to follow him, you don't become new. You don't get a new body, you don't start off back as a little kid anymore. So what does he mean when he says new, that you are new? Well, it's a theological dichotomy, and here's what it is. It says we are both, this is what the word new means. It's meaning we're both being made new, right? We're both made new and we are becoming new. Let me explain. We're new, we're made new in position, right? We're made new in position, meaning that we were not in right standing with God, but now because of Jesus, we are in right standing with God. We are positionally a new creation with God. And then secondly, we are new in process, meaning that we are becoming new from the inside out. It is a process called sanctification. In other words, it means that we are becoming more like Jesus. We're becoming more new. We're completely new in position, and we're becoming new, and we'll be completely all new with the new body when we enter into heaven. To try to explain it even further, it is like this. We just bought a new house, blessed to get a, a new house. We call it a new house. It's not a new house. It was built in 1980. There are things falling apart in it, left and right. We moved in. When it comes to, when, when it comes to signing our name on a piece of paper, it became our new house. Does that make sense? So positionally, it's our new house. But it's a fixer-upper. Let me just tell you, folks. To get a house in this economy, there's no way you're going to get anything but a fixer-upper. So it is like uh, we are taking out walls. I just finished the bathroom this weekend. We're putting in fixtures. We're painting everything. We're just, it is a work in progress. So it is becoming more new as we move along. It is looking cleaner and newer as we move forward. We're moving out of the 80s, people, and we're moving into our day and age. And so it is both new house for us, and it's also becoming new. It's the same thing with Jesus. He is restoring us from the inside out. He is restoring us as a masterpiece, a restoration of a masterpiece from the inside out. Here's what he says. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove, or I, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus is literally giving us a new heart when we walk into a relationship with him. He is restoring us from the inside out, from our heart. Some people have that gift. You know what I'm talking about? That gift where they can look at a house, Joanna Gaines, Chip and Jojo, right? They look at a junker and they're like, that can be beautiful, right? And they can see the potential. Other people can do that with cars. You look at a car and like, oh man, if you just put these wheels on it and if you change the motor and you do this and you put a new paint job, this could be beautiful. Other people do that with like a stump, 
right? There's a stump, and then they take a chainsaw, and they make a bear out of it. So people can look at something and see the potential. What I'm telling you is this, is Jesus looks at you, and he sees the good that he already created you to be. And he wants to restore you back to that good through Jesus. That's what he wants to do. We are both new and becoming new, all at the same time. Years ago, I saw this idea of a masterpiece becoming new again illustrated in, an, in a, like a skit with two guys. It was amazing. It was on this stage, and I wanted, to, I wanted to invite them out and to come here and have them do that, but they're very expensive, so we didn't do that. So what I did is I found the video that they do online. This might be the longest video I've ever shown in here. It's a little bit cheesy, but holy cow, when, it, when I first saw it, it wrecked me. And this is what I think a true masterpiece looks like. And so let's watch this, and then I'll come up and close us out. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> But I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, Dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your Son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. What well, gave it away? You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you to my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but, but I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here, and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here, that would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. With the platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, you compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. <sighs> Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, mean, I feel like you've been doing some great work, and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away, because ultimately, you and other people need to see my son. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life, or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. 
But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish. It's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize. Heavenward. Okay. I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not oh, my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah, but you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. It's just, um... I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. And chisel away. Just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult. And I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away, just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. <sighs> oh my gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh yeah. Go ahead and read it. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? 
even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me and use me, then God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. I think some of us, when it comes to how God views us, we have, as they said in that video, listened to too many voices for too long, where we start to believe that we're broken or that we're not enough and that we can't be fixed. And I think what God wants to say more, because I don't know, maybe it's the church that has done this, right? Maybe it's the church that has said, you got to be this, you got to be that, and, and we failed you in that way. I want you to hear clearly straight from God that you have value, and not only you have value, you are his prized creation, that you are a masterpiece, you're his best work, and even though he's working on you and you are in process to being made new, you are already new with him. You are already new with him. Paul concludes this verse by saying this. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. Poema. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So, now here's the purpose of this whole verse. So we can do good things, which he prepared in advance, so the beginning of time, as our way of life. God's overarching desire is that we would do good. Now, and that's not his goal and purpose. We do good for the purpose of his glory. And I could go into the full context of this verse. It's actually a chapter. So Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10 lets us know that the purpose of us doing good is to glorify God. That is the purpose. Not to bring glory to ourselves and especially not to do good to earn his love, but to do good to, to show how great he is. But before we can do good, right? Before we do what he's, our purpose, we've got to embrace the fact that he already says we're a masterpiece. We are his best craftsmanship. We are his workmanship. And through Christ, we are good. Did you guys catch that? That, that part in that video that rips me apart is when he stops and he says, I can't. Remember that? I can't. I can't be good. And then God says back to him, and he's saying back to you today, Son, daughter, you're good. In the beginning, I created you good. 
So just be good. And we're not good on our own. We've failed it. We've missed the mark. But through salvation, through a relationship with Jesus, we are made new again and we are made good again. He looks at us and he says, it is good. You are good. So how does this pertain to you? How does this pertain to me? For some of us, two things. One, for some of us, we need to be reminded of our value this morning. We need to be reminded that how God looks at us is not how we see ourselves in the mirror. But he looks at us so, it's so, we're priceless. We are the painting that he would give his life for. And he did give his life for. And then secondly, for the rest of us, it's a charge, it's a commission that we need to get out there and we need to remind other people what their value is. Not take the Bible and bang it over their head and prove we're right, okay? It's more about reminding them of the value that God already sees them as. I'm not saying the Bible's not important because it it's God's holy word. But remember what it says when you have to be right. It says that you are good. And those people that you're fighting, they're right. They're, they're good too. We need to remind them of that. Embracing our value, embracing how God sees us is the first step in what it means to make disciples. Our whole purpose of this church is that we need to get out there and we need to share with people. First, we need to believe it ourselves, that we have value, that God sees us as his beautiful masterpiece. Secondly, we've got to get out there and remind every human that you walk in context to, everyone that you see, that he values them the same and that they are his beautiful masterpiece. Let's pray.